right, y'all, welcome back to a very special episode of the Think Peace podcast. I'm here with a colleague and friend, the brilliant Kay He. Um, Kay helps ambitious professionals. I was like, I'm reading your bio half and like looking at your face. I'm so bad at this stuff. I'm always like, be professional, Sarah. I can't. Kay, he helps ambitious professionals find lasting career and life satisfaction. And Kay has just been through this like massive change of his own. We actually talked about it. Someone is on his podcast. So we'll link that up in the show notes. But Kay, I want to know, like in five sentences or less, who are you? Where have you been? And where are you going? Because you have like one of the most fascinating trajectories of anyone that I have had the pleasure to meet in the online space. Oh, that's so kind of you. And I'm I'm thankful, grateful to be with you. I love your podcast. I love everything that, that you put out there. So uh, let's see. All right. Five sentences. I'm, I'm, I'm chatty. So let's say it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Maybe we start with that. Perfect. Um, Classic. Child of first generation immigrants, New York City, early 80s. Um, did the whole thing. Work hard. Put your head down. Don't really think about emotions or creativity. Get it, get into a good college, get a good job, make money, be happy, live happily ever after. Um, so I did that. I worked on Wall Street. I went to uh, Yale. Went to worked on Wall Street for 14 years, and did very well there. Um, and had enough money to take some time off, a year, one to three years, depending on how much you spend. And that was nine years ago. <laughs> and after that. I started an email newsletter called Rad Reads that was 36 uh, link blogging, if y'all remember uh, remember that, pre-substack, tiny letter days, 36 people, email BCC, and just started writing. Uh, I call myself the accidental entrepreneur, the accidental creative. And from that, I've had a meandering online journey of not making money, making money, not making money again, and starting to make money. And it's both mostly been, I love writing. Um, I've done coaching for, I'd say, the early chunk of my online career. COVID, I got the cohort-based course bug, the CBCB, and built a cohort-based course uh, on productivity that was kind of lifestyle design that did very well. And then it crashed so hard, spectacularly, January of 2023 of this year. And I've been in the groundless phase of doing a lot of creating, soul searching since it all crashed, much smaller team, and um, starting to reorient myself around coaching and specifically this type of person that we'll talk about uh, today, this post-achievement professional. How'd I do? Yeah. Um, this is one of the reasons that I just enjoy talking so much is because I think in very different ways, we have had similar experiences and ended up in similar places. Um, and I did not, I did not work on Wall Street. Um, that could not have happened for my brain. But I went like the prestigious schools to the like certain kind of business and like lifestyle, and that you're going to be happy if you pursue these like external things and get these accolades, and everyone tells you how great you are, and then you have money in the bank. And when I kind of like left my career, started my business, I remember feeling this real loss of like legibility. Like I didn't know 
Like I couldn't explain myself to the outside world. And as my business grew, all of a sudden it started to make more sense. Like my mom knew what to tell people that I was doing. Oh, Sarah's an entrepreneur. She runs a company, right? And it sounds like something. And then like you, I also had this big deconstruction this year, um, which I'm still in the depths of. And you're, you're, you're rising out of it that we'll talk about some gives me hope for myself. But I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that, like, that lack of legibility, because I think it really relates to what you're talking about. What happens when ourselves are defined by these external forces that we've been told actually do define us? Yes, you're I, you're, you're referring what I refer to as the identity earthquake. <laughs> and it uh, I've had the identity earthquake so many times that I think I'm just quaking. Uh, I'm identityless and <laughs> just living quaking. in the quake. Yeah. <laughs> Full time quake, not a Quaker, just quaking. Um, but I, I'll bring you back to this text. So when I left Wall Street, that was the biggest identity quake. Um, I would get these. So I left, and people were confused because they thought I was lying. I didn't have anything lined up. They were like, "You're crazy. You're walking away from this crazy job. Crazy good job." I really had no plan. The plan was to not have a plan. Uh, Julia Roberts, eat, pray, love, family style. We took the the little one to Bali and surfed and you know ate a lot of food. Um, but there was a text that would always come. It would it came probably fifty times, and it was, "What are you?" And the "you" is in all caps. Y O U doing question mark exclamation point question mark exclamation point exclamation point exclamation question mark what are you doing i freaking hated that text because it just it it was this this giant hole in my identity because i i wanted to be like oh i'm gonna join a series a startup or oh i'm becoming a tech entrepreneur oh i'm a coach or i didn't know what what that what what i was and so every time i got this plus i was very uncertain that I had made the right decision. That, that's the part that people don't talk about is like usually when you have an identity quake, uh, you remove an old identity. On top of that, you're not even sure you made the right decision by removing that identity. And then on top of that, people are coming over the top. What are you doing? Who are you? And the crazy thing, Sarah, is that it's not just, I mean, these were colleagues and peers, industry peers. It was my parents. Like, what do I tell your aunt that you're doing now? Like you mentioned, it was my wife. We know we were at that phase of New York, New York City preschool thingamajiggies. And you go to like this, this networking thing with parents and they're like, she's like, I, I, and my wife gets me. She's like, I don't, what do I tell them that you're doing? You're, you're like, you're making adult friends. And so this identity quake was, was so, so, um, painful and it wasn't until I, it almost drove me back in the early days so this was nine years ago like the first year leaving wall street it almost drove me back to getting a job that's how painful it was. i just i'm like make this question go away because i don't want to have to explain this and i'll tell you it wasn't until with my parents cnn wrote an article uh meet kehi oprah for millennials this was two years later it's like okay we're good 
Because all they wanted was the, that's all you know, your parents like, want. Oprah for millennials, perfect. Exactly. They can send it to their friends. They can print it out. They can that's CNN of all, you know, like it, it was perfect, right? Um, and then I became an entrepreneur in residence at Quartz. That was actually an entrepreneur in residence. Actually, a very nice identity protecting type title because you don't really do anything. Um, but it's uh, it's like seems very fancy. You know, like say entrepreneur. In, That's in, good LinkedIn in, update, right? Sounds like a the, thing. it's a great yeah. And then I think I don't know if some mix. I think too, having built online credibility. Uh, through social media over this took a long, long time um, that helped because it, then it's like, oh, you know, he's the guy with this many followers or he has a podcast eventually. But that those kind of social media online persona pillars didn't fall into place until much, you know, four or five years later. Yeah. That I, I like at Thanksgiving, my aunt comes over and whispers to me, she goes, so are you working? <laughs> I, was like, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I was like, I know. I mean, always, but no. Yeah. And yes, but it's like, there's like whisper, like it's just like this shameful kind of thing, but this need to kind of pin it down. Um, so when you get to this place, like you're now you're like full-time quake. Right. And I think that a lot of the mm. people that you really work with and help are probably also in that place. And when I think about this term, you've kind of come up with is like post-achievement professional, yeah. the very idea of being post-achievement almost feels like post-external identity. Like you, mm. you are no longer letting these things that are ephemeral, truly, especially in our day and age, like your job is ephemeral. No one's working for 30 years and getting the gold watch, right? That's like not a thing anymore for, for the vast majority of people. How do you live in the quake? Like, how do you get to a place where you're okay? Just being kind of shook up all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, I think so. So to go back to that phrase, post-achievement, I'll put a little co co context around it. Um, you know, a, a big, a big driver behind how that that phrase came about was my through my own experience and through the people that I that I spoke to, where they have been on some version of the achievement treadmill since they grew up, right? And I think the pressure is even more intense now. Like when I was eight, you know, it was like, oh go play soccer, you know, like there's a intramural team, whatever, every Saturday. Now the eight-year-olds have like soccer coaches from, you know, Spain come in and run clinics, you know, after school and things like that. So it's, there's an industrial, uh, for those listeners who don't have kids and who live in, you know, these like pricier suburbs, there's an industrial, I mean, in New York too, an industrial complex of sports. And there's an industrial complex of tutoring. It's just a money machine. So the achievement treadmill starts really early where it's like, do well in school, play the violin. And again, different upbringings, different cultures approach it from different angles, um, go, to a, go to a good school and, and, and so on. What the post-achievement professional starts to realize is that they have used achievement, and I'm speaking for myself and a lot of people I've worked with, they've used achievement as this kind of silver bullet, this like magical elixir that will that will fix every problem 
that you have in your life, whether it's questions of self worth of worthiness, whether it's identity questions, whether it's security, money security, financial security, overcoming um, scarcity. And I think what I've found in kind of that transition to the post achievement self is you realize that um, you, you've kind of been sold a bit of a lie, so to speak. And, um, and I think, a, and so you've been, you've been sold a lie though, that like achievement will solve all of your problems. And, and I don't know if you're, you're, I've guessed my Enneagram type, but I'm a, the achiever type is three, Enneagram three. And what's the biggest fear of, of the, of the achiever type is a deep fear of unworthiness yeah. and unlovability. And so what what I found in my own journey of, uh, you know, like achievement, 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 it was a, imagine like there's a bucket and in this bucket, you just keep throwing achievements into them. Like you throw in like a Yale degree and you throw in a big bonus and you throw in a nice apartment and you throw in all this stuff and you just want the bucket to be full because that's your bucket of worthiness. But this whole time, there's a hole on the side of the bucket so you throw in a degree that just comes out of the hole like four years, you know, over this course of three years, you throw in a promotion, it comes out of the hole. And the thing with age is that 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 um, you need to put more, the hole starts to um, wither or, or expand with time. It sure does. So you need to throw more, <laughs> you know, that's aging, right? You need to yeah. throw more into the bucket and and just to to keep the sea level so to speak the water level yeah. and so um and so i give that context because you 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 have that and at some point people wake up and they're like and we're talking about strict achievement and this like getting accomplishments business wins credentialing and so on people wake up to the story like i've been told my whole life that if i just so i spoke to someone today it's like i sold a company and i still feel deeply unworthy right eight-figure yeah. exit, right? And again, people have their different kind of, um, you know, the the cage gets rattled moment. Some people, it's a financial exit. Other people, it's um, some kind of health thing on themselves. Yep. Other, you know, gen, kudos to, I'm 44, so I'm a young Gen X, but kudos to millennials and 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 uh, Gen Zs that they're kind of looking at their parents and, and, uh, who, and they're like, I don't want, I don't want the ver that version of, of, I don't want your life, right? Um, and so you might get it if you lose a friend that are at an early age, you just kind of start to reconsider a lot of the assumptions that are that are baked into. And obviously a big one is money is, uh, and this is, the, this, this is the client base that, that I work with. Some are kind of post-achievement, post-financial in the sense that they don't really need to work anymore, but they're relatively young, uh, 30s and 40s. Uh, and then they same thing with money. This everyone's told them this whole life is like the more money you have, and and they're not saying that life's not better with more money, but that emptiness, that lack of feeling whole, that fear that you know someone said to me the other day, I just I just um, walk around holding my breath, afraid that the next shoe is going to drop, right? That doesn't that you, we want to believe that that goes away with more money. But for a lot of people, it doesn't, right? Because it's a much deeper, it, it lies at, at a much deeper um, surface. And then obviously the, the, the thing that we, that we started on is this question of identity. So I didn't answer your question. I just laid kind of the, the groundwork for you. No, and I appreciate that because I think, I love what you're talking about 
in terms of people getting their kind of cages rattled at different points. And when you talk about this identity quake, I've had something similar where I have these different points that I can kind of pick out and be like, okay, that was a moment where I started to really question that belief system and question this and realize that like my achievements couldn't protect me. Um, so for example, the reason I left my corporate job uh, was because I got sober and I found that process. I was working in the wine industry. And even though I had a fair amount of support, there wasn't really any way for me to stay there. I didn't think I was going to never have a job again, or I haven't at least yet. And that was eight years ago. Um, I, but when I started looking for jobs, I had this experience of everyone wanting to understand why I had left my job. And if I told the truth, obviously no one wanted to work with me. This was also before sobriety got kind of cool. Maybe it would be different yeah, now. Yeah. It's amazing what can change in just a few years culturally. Um, if I lied, everyone was just kind of like, that doesn't make any sense. There's a lie. If I kind of skated over it. So I, I was looking for jobs and I I just had this, that, that, this kind of that feeling of just like the pure alienation of, I was like, oh, I was like, there's nothing I can do here. I can point at my resume. I can point at the fancy schools I went to. I can like be smart and intelligent and well-educated and have great references. And it still doesn't matter because I did something that didn't quite fit what it was supposed to. And it completely mm. changed my trajectory. And then this past year, I had a, a friend my age pass away and I had a similar kind of moment of being like, oh, wow, I do not actually want to die having spent my entire life posting videos of myself on Instagram as my primary output. Um, so those moments all come together at, and they are, they're different for everyone. But I think that just to give some of those concrete examples from my life for listeners, just like yeah. these are, when I look back, I'm like, okay, these things where you're like, oh, all of a sudden, like you're a real fucking outsider and no one wants to have anything mm -hmm. to do with you because alcoholics are dirty and bad people. Um, and oh, like, right you come around at the end of the day and like, you're still here, right? Mm -hmm. These quakes happen and you still have to figure out what you're going to do with yourself. And even if it yeah. is, yeah, you've had a big exit and now you're empty. I have friends who have like, you know, published books and sold businesses, had children, right? And, and had these moments afterwards where they're like, wait, what? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, how, how do we start to wrestle with that? Yeah. Well, I was, as you were saying the story about, the 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 job right because like people want <clears throat> people like having clean tidy narratives to explain transitions right and and you and I are very much misfits in that is the clean you know we we don't do clean and tidy no. uh, it's not <laughs> it's not how we roll um, clean and tidy don't work work around around here and. Again, I'll just share it as one data point because I don't think I, I'm always very careful to say that like, oh, the thing that I did is the way everyone else should do it. I'm like, no, this is one data point, and but I can speak to it from a very deep, profound level because it's it's I'm being very honest. And so when I left, the only way that I knew how to kind of deal with the identity quake was with like brutal vulnerability, right? And this wasn't the kind of I don't know vulnerabilities kind of it's a kind of throwaway word these days i find um people don't it doesn't have the tooth the toothiness teethiness toothiness that that it had a decade ago but to be very frank i um i got on my newsletter my gmail and i was just like i'm a 35 year old man i have a kid uh my wife is an artist so she's not kind of the primary primary caretaker not primary breadwinner uh, I have some savings and I'm really confused. <laughs> uh, and I don't know, I, I feel like I should have stayed at this job, but I don't want to 
do this investment job forever. I kind of find it boring. I was very careful not to talk smack about anyone because I didn't want to burn any bridges. And I, I it was it served me well. It was a great way station for my career. And so here's where it gets dicey. I find out, so I keep doing that. And you have to keep in mind that in finance, and this was 10 years ago. So again, when vulnerability was like vulnerability, uh, capital V vulnerability. Um, but also you have to keep in mind that I came from a male dominated industry that is full of insecure uh, boomers that to, 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 to be this like brown kid that's like, I have a lot of feelings about this job. Uh, I quit while I'm on top or near the top is a very just strange thing. It's kind of a, I mean, they still write articles about me 10 years. I forward them to one friend. He's like, this is the same story. I'm like, I know once a year, someone's got to be like, there's some guy who left wall street when he was making good money. So, um, so it was a, it was a different time, but, um, I'll tell you a few things that two things that happened in that moment. One is I was being very vulnerable and most people don't, they are not vulnerable because they want the option to go back. And you, you'd be perceived as damaged goods if you were, God forbid, shared some emotion online and wanted to you know, come back to financial services. So, so I showed some emotion and there was a group of friends that they had a secret, I found that out later, I found out later, they had a, a secret a chat group about me. They're like, should we stage an intervention? He's going off the rails. These are my friends. So that's that's what you're facing. That's what you're dealing with uh, with an identity quake. You think that one's bad. If, for those of you not watching uh, the video, uh, Sarah is making a very terrified Macaulay Culkin Home Alone face. Um, <laughs> and then later, uh, uh, maybe a year later, I found another story where an old mentor of mine, someone who was a big advocate of mine in the industry, who was out of the industry, retired, older, richer, I was like, didn't care, shouldn't care about me. He's, he, he heard that I had left without a plan. And he said, this is a bad idea. I've seen this happen before. All these guys think that they can be entrepreneurs. They're not. They're going to spend way more money than they, than they earn. They don't realize it. And mark my words, in five years, his wife's going to leave him. Bigger home alone face for those of you who are uh, listening to the podcast. Um, oh my so, god! <laughs> Sorry, so, what? And, yeah, and, yeah. So that's what I was. You know, that's it's what I was working on. <laughs> I mean, it says a lot about the industry that, like, I, I give it like a little to add on on that. I once went on the record on Bloomberg and said, I think it's ridiculous that men don't take uh, all their paternity leave because they're scared of like, like 10 days this is standard Wall Street paternity leave. And men don't take it because they the, like their bosses will make jokes like, well, like, you don't have to do anything the first 10 days. Um, and I went on the record and said, I think it's ridiculous. I told Bloomberg this. And my best friend, texted me he's like why would you go on the record and say that like like i was like like criticizing some sacred deity of like paternal fucking leave. sorry pardon my french uh leave you can curse on, here this uh, is a safe space <laughs> for cursing. Uh, on, on uh on bloomberg right so it just i i share this because um you asked the question how do you navigate the identity quake um the first way I did was a lot of alcohol. Uh, the second way I did was a lot of exercise. 
Um, and not at the same time, although maybe sometimes. Um, I have definitely then, gotten drunk and then gone to a spin yes. class. And I'm going to be honest, it was great. It's been a while. I have but... I have done drunk burpees. Um, <laughs> okay, that but... does not sound good. That sounds terrible. <laughs> we'll save that for another podcast because there's a story on that one as well. <laughs> but um, that's the, and then, and then eventually I think that, and I think this goes to the period of groundlessness, like this phase, phrase, this uncertainty, the messy middle that we're in. Eventually you come out on the other side. And I think that you have to have, like, I have this like insane trust in myself. Not that I'm like super talented or anything, but my trust in myself is that I show up. Right. If I say if if there's something that makes me come alive, I will show up and do it. Yeah. I was written on a newsletter for 433 consecutive weeks. Like I show up. And that's a secret. That's a superpower. And they're not all good. I say they're all just above average. So if you just show up above average for 433 weeks, you're you're ahead of everyone else. Um, so I show up. I have that confidence. Over the years, I didn't have it nearly as much. Is I just I just stopped caring. Like, and it's, it's, it's hard to like, tell someone like, stop caring. It's just, like left the brain doesn't work that way. I can't tell you stop worrying about money. Like it yeah. doesn't mean anything, but you start to, and for me, it's been through like spiritual practice and through therapy and you start to kind of understand and just like a maturity. Um, and so, but I do think it's that you, in that kind of like the longer you can stay, Pema Chodron, the 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 spiritual monk, she writes about this when things fall apart and certainty and uncertainty, and it's just about it's, it's her whole argument is that, or I don't think monks make arguments, but her yes. whole uh, <laughs> uh, 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 statement, her her whole canon is that all this control that we think we have is actually very illusory. And so instead of trying to go left and right, just admit that you're always kind of in the messy middle, you've just crafted, the brain is so good at crafting these like kind of ex post narratives of like, yes. he went right and then he went left. And then like, no, dude, I've been in the middle this whole fucking time and I'm still in the fucking middle, right? <laughs> you could you could re tell a story that I went left for three years and then right for three years and stopped in the middle for six months and went left again. No, I still fucking feel that I'm in just this like this, this middle groundless phase. Yeah, I... I'm like, I'm so in it right now. I think I only really realized like two weeks ago, I had this like moment. I like broke down watching The Crown. Listeners to the podcast will have heard me tell this story in a very dramatic way, which is when I decided I had to leave the in leave Instagram because I, the watching the Diana fictionalized character of Diana, Princess of Wales getting chased by, um, paparazzi was like how I felt being on Instagram. I started weeping and I was like, girl, we have got to stop this. Like you cannot, this is embarrassing. <laughs> but also I was like that, that, that level of emotion really clarified for me. I was like, okay, something has gotten really like way off here. Um, but one of the things that I'm kind of trying to reckon with and like in this messy middle, in this groundlessness, right. Is you talk about this kind of almost this, this consistency superpower, like you show up for these commitments if they're things that light you up. Um, there's this other piece when we talk about achievement and this post-achievement professional, which is that I think we can maybe break out of achievement while still being ambitious, 
And I'm trying to tease apart these two concepts for myself. And I'm wondering what you think. Is there, and maybe there's different language for it, but I kind of feel like there's a difference between like ambition and achievement that I'm trying, I've been trying to sort through for a little while now. And I'm curious what you think, because when I think of some of these like post-achievement professionals and people who are kind of at this place of being like, okay, like I don't want to engage with the work and the life and these things in this way anymore. These are also people who are like, driven in general um what do you think there's a difference like what Mm. or um like what and i guess maybe another way it's like what do you do with all this i mean i say this from a place right now where i'm like extremely low energy like i'm not like i'm nowhere near my (laughs) whatever my zenith of self but i still am like a very high energy person that energy has to go somewhere so what do we like what what do you think I, it's a it's a great question. I mean, achievement versus versus ambition. Um, I, I there's two things that come to mind. Uh, the first is uh, there's a, a famous verse from the Bhagavad Gita that says, "You have the right to your work, but not the fruits of your work." <laughs> and I really I think that. about that often. Yeah. Where, I mean, look, we're both in the online world where it's the, you have the right to your work, right? I, I do. And we spoke on my podcast about the tension between being a creative and a business owner, right? And like how one's always, you know, like you never can find that sweet spot between the two and and you don't want, I don't want to be one or the other, right? And maybe that's the wrong duality to even look at, look at it from, but you have the right to your, you have the right to your work, but not the fruits of your work, which is really, you know, Everything in online is is a metric, right? Likes and video views and podcast plays and you, I mean, follower counts, all that stuff. And it's really hard to 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 not pay attention. I mean, it, it, it's there to fuel that very kind of hungry ghost in us to uh, to, to 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 motivate us in that way. And so to the extent that, you know, again, I can't tell you, like I, I wake up and I like run down and, and check my YouTube watch hours. Right. So, you know, I can't, I can't tell you that I've totally cracked the code on it, but an understanding, like I've made a lot, you know, like even the, my own podcast, it's like, I just want to have conversations with friends. And then I, I, I use some tricks, like I log out of my, you know, podcasting account. So I can't like easily see the plays and things like that. And then, and I really remember, I'm like, you and I, we had this conversation. It was a special conversation and people sent us touching notes from it. And I think I, I, I don't think I shared this with you, but one of the metrics that I've used for my success now is the amount of earnest conversation that ensues from a piece of content that I produce. I like that. And that is cool because you get three nice notes about a a podcast episode and you're like, wow, like that's this, this is earnest. This is sincere. This person wants to engage. A lot of times people want to engage on ideas in private spaces, like private digital spaces. This is like, I'm getting goosebumps. Just like, this is why we do like, originally, this is why we did what we did before we got caught up in, you know, who has, you know, this, this many followers and and this many likes and so on. So that's, that would be one way. It's like finding a way to look, we're all human here. The metrics, 
you'd have to be some enlightened monk to be able to stare at a computer screen and not see your metrics. Like it, the system's designed against you. And again, use hacks, log out of your, log out of your things, or don't keep Instagram on your phone. You know, like there, there are ways to kind of cut corners, so, but it doesn't fix the, the fundamental problem. So that'd be one thing. The second though, is one that I've been thinking about more and more is um, what's your source of fuel, mm-hmm. right? What's the fuel behind the art? behind the business, behind the ambition, right? I saw this beautiful kind of tweet post the other day and someone said, I used to think the chip on my shoulder was was my source of fuel. And we all know, we've, we've all had some version of chip on my shoulder as a source of fuel with age. And you start to realize that that is not a source of fuel. That is not a sustainable source of fuel. Um, doing better than my college roommate, not a sustainable source of fuel. <laughs> no. It can work for a season, but not a sustainable source of fuel. And um, and so so, but then the then it begets the question is like, well, what is what are sources of fuel? And one one that I use and I use with some of my coaching clients is aliveness. And it's like I have an aliveness test. And like I even if you know, certain podcasts, people ask me to be on podcasts. If I, if I could tell that like, it's not going to bring out my aliveness could be, well, no, I've never said no to a big podcast based on liveness, but I, I, I'm aware that it's happening, but then more like small podcasts where I'm like, this isn't going to do anything for the business, but I respect this person's work, or I know they ask good questions, or I know they speak to this audience that is really passionate about X, Y, or Z. And so kind of aliveness. And, and I think if you're struggling, if you're listening to this and you're, and you're asking yourself, I don't, I get this all the time in my coaching. I haven't felt aliveness in years is what people tell me. And so if, if, if that's the case, um, give yourself grace. You're, 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 you're not alone. Many people, it's quite common actually, uh, especially in this kind of burnout um, achievement culture, uh, just focus on, on presence instead. It's like, where was I most present? What activity was um, keeping me the most present? So mm-hmm. so that would be one. And then the, the last one, is, or the, the next one that I've been thinking about a lot is um, impact. And not, like, there's a very weird, you might know this person. Um, there's this, in copywriting, there's this quote that people always say, which I hate it. Um, and it means you probably hate it too, because we're kindred in many ways like that. But it's basically this quote is like, if you have something of value to offer to someone, it's your responsibility to sell it to them. It's like Gary Halbert or like one of those, it's just this awful (laughs) quote that like copywriters, like especially internet copywriters have gone like haywire on. Of course they have. Yes. And, uh, and people have said, they've just sat me down like, Hey, if you have something that will make someone's life better, you have to sell. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like, you no, know, I don't. Um, and they, they they bend themselves into, into so so I, I I bring that story up because sometimes people do that with impact too. They're like, yes. oh, well, my $3,000 course helped eight parents win back three hours of time. So like, that's the impact. And I've done versions of this yeah. self-justification as well. But I do, I've been really starting to think about impact. And uh, for example, we did a lot of productivity stuff um, over the years. And we we're kind of like, I'm retiring from productivity, but it's really good material. 
And one of the questions we would ask is like, what if we could like lightly adapt that material and give it away to college students? Hmm. Like how cool would that be? Like, that's just something I would like to see in the world because I think our productivity stuff's better than most people's out there. So it's already, we already did the hard part of like having original and high quality ideas. And we struggled because we were trying to, you know, Gary, I don't think it's Gary Halpert. We were trying to, you know, maximize the sales out of this, you know, idea and it didn't, it worked and then it didn't work and it was not particularly fulfilling at the end. Um, but we still have it. And so what if we, what if we did it that way? Right. Or, and again, that is a real test, uh, especially for someone like me that, you know, I am kind of post-achievement, not totally post-financial and that I need to earn, but I don't need to, to earn so much. Um, but I like money. And so, you know, when I think of the college student project, I'm like, yeah, but that's going to take a quarter's worth of work. And, you know, one of our colleagues is good. I'm like, we could skip that. I'm like, what if we push that for like two quarters and we make a little bit more money before that? Cause you never know when this next shoe is going to drop. And I call bullshit on myself on that because I have I have said for for nine years. I mean, Rad Rate started nine years ago. I wanted to start the Rad Foundation, and uh, it's been nine years. And the Rad Foundation has you know maybe like a couple charity checks that come out of it once a year. Um, so kind of, but I would I, I do think that there's a part of me that's like let's remove finances from the econo- from from the equation, yep. and really serve others while having a part that is for profit and serves. And I would love to find that good harmony. I haven't, I haven't found it yet, but I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting closer. Yeah. I like that reframing of impact and, you know, something I've always tried to think about in terms of, especially the podcast in particular and like other resources in how do you, how are you able to, or are you able to actually like to do both of those things from kind of one stream, how can they work together? And I like this idea you're talking about of essentially repurposing all this work now that you're not going to use it and figure out how can we, how can we do something with it that could actually have that impact. And um, I love that you're mentioning this in particular in terms of how the idea of impact is used to yeah justify that everything has to be a financial exchange, right? That if you, you know, and it's, it's often a way of kind of like conning people into, or like helping people trick themselves into being okay with selling if they're not like, and I know where it comes from because I've worked with so many people who are afraid to sell their work. So it's like this kind of frame of it, but you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't solve it. Like it doesn't actually solve it. And if you are, yes, we help these parents get three hours back. It's like, that's great. Um, it's also okay. If you don't want to do it, it's okay. If you want to give it away, like you can do all these different things with it. Um, I, uh, I once like worked with someone who yeah. said, uh, he, he was trying to start a mission driven investment company. And so, mm-hmm. uh, he took Twitter and he said, look, Twitter is just democratizing the access. And so we're an invest. We're mission. I'm like, Twitter is a mission driven company. I'm like, what are you going to tell me next? Like, Exxon's a mission driven company because it allows people to go to work. Right. And and like that, (laughs) you know, that's that's what kind of like impact invest. I mean, we're a little bit off on a tangent, but I do think that, you know, copywriters will say, like, oh, I do copywriting for Ozempic and Ozempic is helping people get better self confidence. I'm like, I get, like, look, there's a market for 
for all of that. There's a market for Ozempic. There's a market for copywriters who write for, you know, but to try to take every kind of uh, output of a capitalist society and then like put a, a sugar, like a coat of veneer that like this is impact. I'm like, let's just like call bullshit on ourselves, you know? And, and I, I'm I'm saying that out loud because I I need to remind myself that like, yeah, like sometimes you make money because you, you do shit that, you sell shit that people need and that's it. Like, let's just call it the, that's the end of the story, right? You don't have to go into these weird contortions to self-justify because, because uh, you feel like um, that there's a part of you missing or a part of you that's incomplete. Mm, yeah, no, I completely agree. I actually like, I think like, I think of like Ozempic, but I think of like any of this kind of like medical copywriting, like the very idea that we're even like selling medicine is just so fucked up. She says, like, I, it, it drives me absolutely wild. And when we, we see this, I think a lot in the online space, this kind of like marketing speak becomes the default for all communications. And I found it in my own brain, one of the reasons I've been focusing on my newsletters, like I'm trying to like break my brain out of marketing speak. I was like, I can, I was like, you show me something. I was like, I can, I can like spin that up into some sales copy for you. Like that, like no problem. And I had a friend who was like, oh, that's so great. You should, you should do copywriting. Like that's what you should do next. And I was like, I'm not happy about that. I'm not happy that my brain looks at something and can immediately be like, oh, here's like our communications plan around this. And here's the one-liner. That's not, I don't actually think that's a good thing. Um, yeah. So I like this way that you're kind of like bringing that up and challenging it. It's like, there's, I, there ha- like, I think that there's a way for us to create work and sell work and get paid and do all that. But like, I, I don't want my brain to live in that space all the time anymore. Like, I don't Can want everything to be that way. I don't know. Did Can we, we talk about this, okay. um, this, this selling thing? So I, I, I'm, you said something that 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 really resonated because I don't like selling because I feel it feels very icky. I always undersell myself, yeah. kind of like very common, kind of like people pleasing, newish entrepreneur tendencies. I have those. That's one. But there's another part. I can't. Rem- I don't think we talked about this on on my podcast. But there's this kind of pain based marketing, which oh, yeah. I you know for those who are in case you're not familiar, it's like pain. Pain basis, you you look at your at your customer's life and you're like, they they feel really insecure because they don't like how their body looks or because mm-hmm. they don't think they're a great parent or because they they don't have enough as much money as their neighbor or whatever. And you look at their pains and then you write copy that just like, you know, they even have a, a framework it's like called problem agitate solve. And so like you point out the problem, but that's not enough. Then you're like, you have this problem. Like your, your neighbor is way more successful than you. That's the problem. Agitate. You'd like take the knife and you twist it. And yeah. you're like, and you know, like that means you're going to die alone. Right. And then solve, <laughs> which is, <laughs> buy my product is, like, and you solve. won't it's die. Like, yeah. yeah. Buy, uh, buy my leggings or buy my, you know, my yeah. fancy shoes or, or, Always or leggings, my, my productivity it, app, you know? Yeah. For, yeah. So, um, and I had a, this was one of the reasons why I didn't like selling digital products was because I never cracked the code on how to sell without doing that. And yep. I don't, I'm sure it's possible. I've seen a few examples of people, but they're kind of world, world-class uh, marketers. And I'm not, I'm a solid marketer, but I'm definitely not a world-class marketer. Um, and so my, 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 my statement is like part of, I want to exist in a business where I don't have to rub people's pains in their faces so that they buy yes. shit from me. 
Yes. That's one statement. And then the question for you is, some people will say like, that's not possible or that's very, very difficult. And I, I'm curious what, how you think of that question. Yeah. I have like a slightly contrarian take in that I don't have, I don't actually think it's bad to like acknowledge the challenges people have because I actually really, the other thing I really hate is like toxic positivity marketing, mm, <laughs> which is like yeah. often where people yeah. go. Um, but that, but I think that agitation piece you're talking about is what's yeah. so important because there's a way to kind of basically like basically witness people be like, Hey, like if you're like in this kind of place, like you're my person, just like what you're saying with post-achievement, right? There is yeah. an, in, there is, there are pains, if you will. I like the word challenges. Um, and I think acknowledging that people have challenges is not a bad thing. Yeah. And especially the space that I've worked in for so long in spirituality and wellness, there is this toxic positivity where like people like will not say anything bad ever. will never say that something's challenging. So I'm always kind of like kind of wrestling with that, but the agitation piece, that's the thing. And the less you do that, the less effective it becomes a hundred percent. And that is so yeah. hard. The sales process, right? Do I think it's possible? Sure. I will say the vast majority of sales information that I've seen for digital products that does not include at least some level of, I'll call it challenge awareness <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or pain points, I really don't believe that it converts. Yeah. It, you bounce right off of it and like as like a reader or or somebody. So what I have, what this kind of brings me to, if we want to get real deep into this, real yeah. deep is that people don't fucking need it. Like they don't need the product. What we've been selling the, the product. Oh, yeah, yeah. I and this is the this is where marketing becomes really hard for me is that I believe that people like I work with some people who do great work and there are yeah. all so many reasons why people don't buy it, but um that don't have to do with the quality of the work itself. But I'm like if it takes this many tips and tricks and strategies uh, to sell it. Yeah. I'm like, we are creating a demand that isn't there. And if you don't create that demand, the demand isn't there. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm a little circular, but I just really think like it's, I kind no. of am like, we have an entire industry that's kind of built on like matchsticks yeah. a little bit, you know, like, yeah. a, or a house of uh, cards. I, that's the phrase. Yeah. That's, it's almost like it's another industrial, you know, we're talking about the industrial sports complex. We have the industrial marketing slash digital oh marketing yes. complex, which is, you know, livelihoods of countless, of countless uh, entrepreneurs, small business owners. These are yeah, billion it's, it's, dollar it, industries, like multi, yeah. like it's a huge industry. Um, yeah. yeah and, it, you know, it, it got hard. me thinking, cause I, um, I do, I do coach. I, I've, I've done more coaching now in this kind of next recent chapter yeah. of, uh, of ours but it's all being sold like inside DMs. And it's not even yep. really, it's not like some, like, yes, there is a sales page with problems and challenges and yep. not that much agitation. Um, but really it is like someone has a true problem. They read something that is like, it's, it's content marketing. It's not conversion-based marketing. So it's more just like making them feel, like, it's like you said, it's making them recognize that I understand or I can empathize with their challenges. Yes. But I don't yep. even need to needle them. They just, they, the problem is so burning for them that they just send me a DM. Yep. I mean, my most successful product in terms of like, 
like biggest launches and that kind of stuff. It's something I all, I closed all in DMs. Definitely. It was all these personal conversations with people. And it was at a price point where that made sense. And the sales page is one of my favorite sales pages because it's really not about problems in any like big sense. It's like these business challenges, but you know, not in a, and you're a bad person, you're going to die away. Just like the very basics of like, you're out of time. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, okay. Yeah. Like, you know, these kind of basic things and having those personal conversations. And I think what we're getting to here, which is kind of interesting is like the, the pain agitation solution thing is trying to scale those personal conversations, right? It's trying to scale something that's unscalable. So you have to like make it so much bigger in order to scale it. It has to be blown up. You have to have people have these insane experiences in order to emotional experiences to feel like they know you. Whereas if they just talk to you, yeah, right. They'll yeah. they'll figure out very quickly whether or not Kay is the right person for them. Right? Yeah. They're gonna be like, yeah. oh no, Kay gets me, or they'll be like, oh, actually, uh, no, thanks. Like yeah. they come, it's so easy, but you can't do that for a thousand people at a time. Yeah, I, and I think I'm glad you brought up the scale thing because um, in my own story and kind of like in my post achievement kind of journey, you know, Wall Street, you didn't need scale. Like the scale was just that that industry runs at like you know made up scale. So the scale just kind of trickles down from the industry. So you you have it and and you know you can make entrepreneur like money in W two form. Um, then I get into the online world and it's all, I mean, even one of our frameworks was 10K work, which is all about yeah. leverage and scale and amplifying your efforts and all that. But it is this like scale, 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 scale. And the 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 thing that I've realized, and part of I needed my groundlessness to figure this out, mm-hmm. like that space. The thing that I realized is, you know, Paul Graham has that famous essay, do things that don't scale. And I am the ultimate like do things that don't scale. Someone asked me a question, some stranger on my email list, I record them a two-minute loom just mm-hmm. because loom is so easy. Like yeah. I'm a talker. And so I could just riff, I could tell it, throw in a story. I have good, in, you know, gesticulation and all that, a good camera. And then boom, I, this like polished experience, but it like, you can't, you know, other people are like you, you send looms to your email responders. I'm like, yes, if they are doing my goal of um, starting an earnest conversation, mm-hmm. then I owe them an earnest response. Yeah. And none of that, quote unquote scales, but I mean, I probably, I probably spend like 20 minutes a day replying to random newsletter readers. And I think, but, but it, it, I think it goes back to that, that Bhagavad Gita quote is like, the joy is in responding to them. It's like, you gave me a gift of your attention and a compliment or, or an earnest opening for conversation. And I give you a gift back, which is my response to, to, to your question or, or an, uh, another part of the earnest conversation. But this is where it gets like kind of funny and weird and cool is like, there's a world where that's called sales. Yep. Right. And I don't, I almost like, I'm, I don't think of it that way because then I, I don't want to get into this mind where I like someone sends me an email and I go look them up on LinkedIn. And I'm like, oh, this is a college student. And oh, this is a Wall Street executive. Right. So I'm going to like respond to the Wall Street executive and not the college student. I want that, that, that like pure honesty and uh, in it. But I do think that when you get rid of that sales page amplification which by the way is founded on businesses that might not even need to exist. So you have like two businesses that might not need to exist. You have the, the coaching product or whatever, the info product that doesn't need to exist. 
but by the way, I had one of those. Uh, and then you have the oh, marketing same. agency that, uh, or the marketing that I teaches the it. product that doesn't need to exist, how to try to exist. I'm like, what if we just fucking, you know, like to go to your podcast, like, what if we just burn all that? And I think that, you know, to come full circle, I think that this is a very kind of post-achievement sense is like, you we're kind of dismantling the institution of achievement. Yes. scale, which I actually had never thought of scale in that conversation until this conversation. So thank you for, for pointing that out. But you take out scale as a, a, a variable in achievement. And what does that look like? Oh, what do you know? You do things that don't scale. What do you know? Doing things that don't scale actually is like deeply rewarding, right? It doesn't fit with the narrative of, of, you know, all the Instagram coaches and all the info product, like that doesn't, that, that doesn't fit their narrative, but um, you, you kind of land in this space that is like much more um, in alignment with kind of how a lot of people want to show up. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, as you know, one of the reasons I closed my product was because I realized I didn't like working at scale. I was like, I really missed the intimacy. I was like, I don't, I got to a point where I was like, I don't know any of these people anymore. Yeah. I used to not to like, and I, I remember listening to an Instagram coach at some point being like, I don't know everyone's name anymore, but oh, well, basically like now, you know, oh, that's sad, but now we have to grow to, so we can, so we can impact more people. Right. Yes, there it is. And I was like, I don't know. I really miss knowing everybody's name and knowing all their businesses mm-hmm. and their stories and like their dogs and having this actual like human sense which is this whole other thesis I'm working on about alienation and this kind of work, but that um, the scale thing for me was such a huge breaking point where I was like, part of these problems are because I am no longer actually in, in relationship with these people, right? We have a transactional relationship, but the work that I do is not transactional. Um, it's transformational, let's say. Sure, that sounded like a soundbite. I didn't mean it quite like that. See, the marketing brain, it's not a transaction, yeah. it's a transformation. So you're, you're just too good. <laughs> too good. Um, and breaking that down has been interesting. And I love like hearing you talk about like replying to people in your email. I just had this little chill because like I've had a really huge problem with being able to respond to people in things like emails and DMs. And it's become like a like a like a physiological like yeah. anxiety problem. But like in my core, I absolutely love talking to people. And I look at this as this kind of like this, like, you know, one of those like overstretched rubber band kind of yeah. things, like after trying to work at scale and trying to kind of like divorce myself from people and kind of manage as more and more people come into your ecosystem and they bring all sorts of weird shit and like try right. to manage like the, the people who come through the Facebook ads, no offense. Some of you stayed and I love you, but a lot of people were really fucking weird Um, that like, I'm at this place where I'm like, I actually can't do that. And, um, I, I, I'm doing, um, I have a little coaching column. I'm running through my newsletter where people can submit questions and I can write answers. And it's, it's like giving me a little bit of that at that same level. Like if you take the time to submit a question, I'm going to write you like a thousand words on this man. Like I can't wait. (laughs) Um, and I just, I love, like for me, I'm like a little goal. I was like, Oh, I would love to be able to open my inbox and actually be like excited to reply to people. Like that's just like this little piece of like, cause like, I, I like, I love, I like, I honor the attention and like that, that in earnest response. And I'm like, I would love to be in a place like my nervous system is like, yeah, like humans interacting mm-hmm. but you're also you know and and it i if i it sounds like you are but I, i'll say it out loud it's like 
giving yourself grace that, you know, you oh, are yes. in this transition period that, you know, it, it's not doable. Like, don't get me wrong. We had a, we had a thing where there was a system where, you know, when the emails that came in from the newsletter, like a VA would categorize them as like high, high touch prospect, you know, and then, and then I would go in and batch respond to them. I'm like, Ugh. like now, yeah. now I'm just like star the earnest conversations for me. Like that's, yeah. that's yeah. Like, so there's, there, there still is a, there still is a filter, just a triage like, filter, but there, yeah. No, no. And I do, I have a lot of grace for myself, but I just, I like this piece of the conversation because I do think when we look at achievement, right, we are often looking at scale on some level and this like high legibility, it's like the billboard, right? It's like Yale or like, I have like my, my mug from my boarding school and I'm always like, I went to Exeter. I'm a big, I was like, I used to basically, I'm like, I used to be really smart and a big deal <laughs> like many years ago. Right. Um, and like, there's people who I say that to and like, that really means something to some people. They're like, Oh shit, I got jobs long after high school, just because I went to this high school. It's like that kind of stuff where you're like, uh-huh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so we have these billboards, right? And like what we're both talking about here is something like much different. It's it's almost like, I don't know, like like meeting someone in the street. It's almost like yeah. sitting down to coffee. It's almost like like we're not like what happens when you actually do bring it down and how maybe achievement looks, not that it won't have big impact, but you're not chasing numbers. Yeah. in the same way you're chasing earnest conversations and I, i'll tell you that um you know i feel like especially in the online space you know I, we were talking about this before was like, everyone's like i need to be mr beast or pick your favorite you know giant mega influencer <laughs> the first thing people forget is that mr beast is not one person it's like an organization of 50 people so that's like that's so like many you and people me like i, I want to be mckinsey like you can't be mckinsey you're just one person you know um so so that let, let's not forget that but i think the the other thing too is that and maybe i see this more in the like male energy productivity space, but it, it's all just what I call zero calorie content, right? It's just, you know, just, it's the the version of like cold plunges to, you know, they've, they've gotten better at craft. I, you know, it's, you know, I saw the other day, it's like, have a, a weekly review with your, with your spouse. And, and then someone wrote okay. in the comments, they're like, what do you mean? You mean talk to your spouse? Every time I see somebody say something about that with like, have a weekly review with your spouse. I'm like, I don't know, guys, I'm jumping off the cliff now. Like I'm done. Like yeah. I, I was like, let's, let's create the AGI. So it kills us all now. Like we don't deserve to live. It's, it's too much. Um, but I think there's also <laughs> this, this other, so it's almost like there, that's the empty calorie. It's like the, the Budweiser approach. It's like, appeal at such a surface level to everyone and and you have to do that right if you want that volume if you want to play that volume and i think this is what i've i've struggled with is because deep inside i know i don't want that but it's you know like i said the metrics are just shown in front of you and you see it and you're like i'm so much smarter than that person i'm so much hard harder working than that person but they're and, and like yeah but they're playing they're just pounding bud light all day and like, I just want to have like a, you know, to keep the alcohol, even though like neither you or I drink, but like, I want to have like an, a sip of a really like expensive drink from time to time. Right. And it's almost like, why are you comparing, you know, a uh, $150 bottle of whiskey to 
a 10 cent can of Bud Light, but we're doing that when we, when we're on these social platforms and kind of this, like yes. this, this not enoughness. Right. And I think really, I hope, you know, one of the beautiful things that, that I've taken away from, from, from us talking, and I hope people here too, is like do things that don't scale. Right. I think that there's a real like earnestness we've used a few times. You can really communicate. I, I like to use the word love uh, uh, mm -hmm. frequently. So you can really kind of communicate that love and that earnestness. Um, and it's so much more special than, you know, 1800 likes on a motivational quote about the weekly review with your spouse. You know, I remember will be my last story and then I'll start to wrap this up. But um, early in my career, like before I was working kind of fully online, which was like 2019, 2020, like most people, I was already very online, but like I was still, um, I would do like teaching tours and went to different places and like taught in shops and stuff. And I was teaching a lot of herbalism then and some other things and some spiritual practices. And I remember going to go teach somewhere and a bunch of, not a bunch, like several people had come from other states this was in the Northeast. So it wasn't that far to be clear. It wasn't like California <laughs> somewhere. Um, as in teaching in Massachusetts, somebody came from Vermont and someone came from New Hampshire to come to the class. People I had talked to on social media. And I was, I was early in my, like, I did not have, I have never had a huge following. I've done a lot with what I had, but like, this was really early. And I just remember being like, I was like, wait, wait what are you guys doing here? And they're like, oh, we were so excited to come meet you and come to your class. And I was like, wait, what? And I think about that as like this kind of this kind of peak moment in like my online career where these relationships actually translated to something so tangible where people were willing to like drive across state five, lines five <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. I mean, or just like, like take trips to come and like have my class be part of what they were doing. And I don't know if I've ever had something quite so delightful happen since. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think, think about that. Period, right. Like, like if we can reconnect with that, because by the way, and again, I don't want to make everything about money and commercialization, but you know, the fact is we do, we have businesses to run as well. If someone's willing to drive across straight lines, like let's just say that they're, they're a good prospect. Right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a really strong signal. They say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so For the post-achievement professional, or maybe those of you listening who are like, God, I wish I were post-achievement. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can hear a lot of people in my audience be like, I'm ready to be post-achievement. Yeah, um, what, like, yes, I'm, I'm like, now I'm asking for the soundbite, but it does not need yeah. to be short. You know, what is like, my dog has things to say about it too. What is the North Star? Like, where is the place to put your eyes in those moments when everything you thought was true it's falling apart. Mm, yeah. Um, it's a great question. I think we, well, I said it once, but like a version of aliveness slash presence, right? If you're, if you're, if you're like, the thing about aliveness is you'll never regret it, right? It's like, oh God, I can't believe I was so alive last week. It didn't amount to anything. Right? How dare so I? <laughs> you'll never regret it, yeah, right? And, and, and you know, you can use things like like flow and so on. Oh, I do think, I like right? I, I think this kind of 
like you know there's a practice that I, that I've done I think I've, I've been fanboying really hard on on Pema Chodron but this might actually this is Tara Brock actually <laughs> but it's it's she, she calls it a savoring practice where at the end of the day, because we have the negativity bias. So, you know, if, if if you got 10 reviews and eight were good and two were bad, all you could think about are the bad two, even though you had eight good ones. Um, I hate, I hate so, that part of my brain. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. welcome to, to, to humankind, right? <laughs> we're all, we're all with you. Um, so she has this, this exercise where you, um, you recall at the end of the day, or you're laying in bed, you recall a, a, a positive moment in your day, like something smaller, just like uh, the way the light shone on your dog daughter's cheek, right? Yeah. Or, um, you know, the quiet, you know, cicadas, the quiet chirping of the crickets or whatever, whatever. or someone, you know, someone doing an act of kindness in front of you, helping an old, an, an old man cross the road. And you bring that moment to memory and then you savor it for 30 mm. seconds in your head. Mm. And it's really powerful in two ways. One is that it 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 brings presence because you have to you have to notice the beautiful thing that you're going to savor. And I know, hopefully it doesn't turn into a task for people, but it, it just it opens your eyes to yeah. to to micro moments of of beauty and 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 awe. That's the first thing. But then when you start doing the savoring practice right away, you you then go back into your day and you're like, wait, my whole day can be like this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like one 30 second thing. It's just a way of being, right? Yeah. And you see people who are deeply spiritual, longtime meditators, the, the way they'll eat their food is like you could, you could see like every juice kind of hitting every taste bud, like at, yeah. you know, slow motion. Yes. Um, and so I think that, you know, in it, I think finding finding that way or, or moving towards that way of existing, right? Because it's it kind of removes this kind of delayed gratitude, like oh, one day I'll I'll, I'll be successful. Because that's the thing about the post achievement. It's it's not that you achieved all the things. It's that you realize that achievement wasn't the prompt doesn't deliver on the promise that it had made with the, that, that you've made with it, yeah. right? It's not like I need to sell my company. To, it's like oh. You know, I, I've noticed that, you know, even when I got promoted from 20, age 24 to 26, you know, I thought I was going to be so much happier, but, you know, I was still really lonely or really this or really that. Um, so that like savoring practice that like kind of centers you and that, that goes back to that presence and that aliveness. Um, and then just like serving others, right? I think, you know, the, the, and it's, and, and it really becomes this like, synchronous act right like the person that drove two hours to see you the to to you the act is i can't believe you drove two hours to see me to them it's like i get i can't believe i get to see you yeah all right and if we can let go of the attachments and the expectations that come with that encounter will this make me money will this make me famous will this grow my business is this scalable? If we can let go of that and just appreciate it for what it is, it may not be the answer, but it's a clue towards the answer. Yeah. Thank you. Hmm. 
Where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing? They want to uh, get on the the famous continuous mailing list, which is, <laughs> which is no longer Gmail BCCs. I'm sorry. I love yeah. that so much. Um, 36 well. people. Um, <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you always. It's just, and again, it, it, it this kind of, this is a great, um, this is a great metaphor for what a lot of what we've discussed is you and I have never met in person. Uh, not yet. A lot of me, not yet. I'll be in New York soon. Uh, yes. We have a lot of mutuals uh, through the world of, uh, through the online world. We are um, I, ide- uh, ideologically aligned in, in many ways. Um, and we, we just want to hang and we hang we curse, we hang, dogs bark, sirens. Uh, I didn't hear any sirens, but um, and we hang, and then we invite our friends into the into the room for the conversation, and uh, and like what like what more do we you know like what more what more do we need right like what more what more do we need, and um, and I just want to thank you. I want to point that out, but I want to thank you for that. And um, and and share and and thank listeners for being in with us as well. And and you know it's kind of like I don't know, I don't like the win 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 type language, but it's just you know we get to ex- here's what here's what I say we get to exist we get to exist in a way that is alive and present, um, and it is in service of the things that we care about in in, in, our, in our in our case like ideas and the people who who listen to us. It has been such a treat to have you on. I really appreciate it. And I do. I love this as an example. You know, I've had meeting you and a few other people this year now that I kind of had like some bandwidth to like develop more relationships really reminds me why I got into all this in the first place. I'm like, oh yeah, this is what it's about. This is the fun stuff. Exactly. <laughs> this is the fun stuff. So where can everyone find you on the internet? What's your what's your link? Thank you. So radreads.co is the main place. Sign up for the the famous newsletter and um, the Examine Life podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And then um, most active on Twitter slash X, um, just Google Kehi. I won't spell my name out. It's too long. And then uh, (laughs) we're doing some fun stuff on YouTube as well. Awesome. We'll link all that up in the show notes and I'll make sure to link the episode that we did over on Kay's show um, about about burning, burning the bridges, which I think you guys will enjoy as well. Um, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day and feel alive and get to enjoy something just delightful and sweet with your your family and your great work and the beautiful, I hope it's beautiful in California today. Like uh, It is yeah. the 72, no humidity every day. <laughs> <laughs> Not like that in New York right now. She says shivering in the dark. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Sarah.